hello! Welcome to Anime Ichiban Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. That's a good I'm your host. Oh, we're, we're singing now. Yeah, this, we're, didn't you get the memo? I thought I sent this to you on work. No, I thought we were doing like interpretive dance, which that's, nobody That's really see. difficult to do with just voice. Well, we I'm can describe sure it. So I'm slowly sliding my hand across down the upper side of my arm. And you're grabbing your Down cock. into my pants. Well, not that. Uh, maybe you're grabbing my cock. <laughs> oh my god! Right, you know what? Well then, I am your host, I into that. Matthew Ponte. Right, we're still joining me are the usual nitwits, Kyle Rogashow, and Harry Morris. That's like a that's like a 1930s insult. That is an early 2000s insult. No, it's nitwit. Nitwit. Okay, fine. You're Nimrods. What about that? Oh, that's even older. Anyways, okay. yes, we Hello. are. Early 2000s, 1990s, 1980s insult podcast, Enemy Ichiban Kyle joining us this week. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Um, yeah, I just saw the Sonic movie last night, which has no right to be as good as it is. I'm excited to see it. <clears throat> I'm very excited to see it. Because, it. first of all, it actually feels like it was made by people that play the games. But more than that, like outside of just being a good video game movie, it's surprisingly just a good movie. Right, and I think we're out of the age of just by definition, bad video game adaptation movies with this and Detective Pikachu being just mm. good movies on their own. I think... Well, uh, I think it helps that, like, millennials are now in positions where they're making movies, so... They understand what it is. Question, they understand it, yeah. Question for you, though. So, you saw... If you saw the Sonic movie with the original Sonic design before the rework... Oh, God. Would it have oh, been God. as enjoyable? <laughs> like, even now, I think the Sonic design could still stand to be a little cartoonier um yeah yeah it, i don't know i don't know i honestly don't know but i don't think i would have enjoyed it right I, yeah. but as I, it is i like the way he looks now yeah I, I i like his look i i do agree that it could be improved but i think given the fact that they already had most of the movie done and so they had to rework everything they had and delayed the movie for that it, it can't, it's come out very well. I yeah, think. It's, it so seems I'm fine. Also, I think we're, we're in an interesting time where with video game movies, I almost feel like the more weird eccentric ones are the better ones. And the ones that kind of play it more safe, like, uh, like I didn't see it, but like the like Assassin's Creed. Quest. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've not seen it, but I've heard bad things. But uh, like the Assassin's Creed movie, again, I've, I've not watched it, but apparently... I completely forgot that that was a movie and that was, the Assassin's, was Michael Fassbender. Yeah. yeah. God, it was so weird. Because I, I think with that kind of source material, there's not a whole lot you can actually do. You kind of have to just stick to this quite bland script. Whereas yeah. With something like Detective Pikachu or the Sonic movie, you can kind of play with some quite weird ideas. Yeah, that was right. really... So that was what was great about the movie was like it felt super campy and cheesy and cartoony. Mm. Like it didn't follow any like real world logic, but it followed its own logic, which was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Like Sonic runs around, he like curls up into a ball and like hits robots and it's great. <laughs> yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking I'm, forward I'm, to see it. I'm going to probably watch it on film. Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the, the writing is pretty funny. It's what I think is appropriately cheesy for the kind of character that Sonic is. Um, Jim Carrey's a lot of fun. So, yeah, all, all in all, very solid recommendation, and it got me to download Sonic Mania. Oh, Sonic Mania S is Sonic Mania phenomenal. is really good. 
Like, so it's, any it's, any it's, person who says 2D Sonic games weren't good is a fucking idiot. It's weird because, like, I played a lot of Sonic growing up, um, but I haven't really for, like, the past 10 years or so. And, yeah, just watching the movie again made me realize I, I really enjoy Sonic as a character mm. and as a video game. When Sonic is firing on all cylinders, he is just so much fun just as a character and gameplay perspective. Yeah, but yeah, at the same time, yeah. it is so easy for him. To go off the rails and to just like, what are you doing? You mean territory? like where he becomes a werewolf or carries a sword? Yeah, mm. or kisses a human. I, I think. Oh, I think what's strange yeah. about the Sonic franchise is that like it's always been experimental from day one. People have always compared mm. like with the sixteen-bit games. It's always been like Mario versus Sonic, but they're so different as platformers. And what's unique about like the sixteen-bit Sonic games is that they're so physics-based. As platformers, they're all based around physics and momentum. Which is like, some people don't get it. Some people, I've seen them play like 2D Sonic and they suck at it because they don't understand how the physics works and how it's mm-hmm. like, you're, you know, the level is almost like a racetrack that's guiding mm-hmm. you and you kind of, you go around the loops, but you'll get people... Go, yeah, like, I kind of forgot that about the gameplay as I like went back into it last night. I was like, oh my God, yeah, I just need to like keep moving forward. Yeah. But what's really cool is like the whole idea is that Unlike Mario, it isn't really about like memorizing the best route. It's about just kind of figuring out routes as you're moving along. Because yeah. there's a lot of different ways to progress through oh, a level. Yeah. And, and that's what I really like about it. It's about open-endedness of it. But I think like, you know, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, they're, they're so interesting as experimental games. And going through the franchise, even when there's been absolute misfires, absolute shitty games, I can still kind of say... At least they tried something interesting. At least they tried an interesting concept. It didn't work. It wasn't fun. But at least they tried to be creative, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, the Sonic franchise is definitely not want for uh, new ideas. Whether they are quote-unquote good or quote-unquote bad ideas is up for debate for sure. Mm. So other than uh, postulating about the existence of Sonic, Harry, how have you been? What have you been up to? I've been good. Uh, yeah, I've been playing uh, Tokyo Mirage Sessions Encore on a Switch. Oh. And oh, I, nice. I believe I'm going to write a review for it for Goombastomp. So so did you play the original Wii U version or is this yeah, your first experience? Yeah, no, I, I played the Wii U one. And okay. uh, so I played that in 2015, which I think is when it came out. And I, so, uh, I enjoyed it, yeah. Playing this one now, it's it's kind of different because this is post-Persona 5 and post-Dragon Quest Eleven, which mm. to me are like my two favorite JRPGs ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed that whilst I, I still like it, it's not as it's not quite as good as I remember. There's certain issues that I feel like other JRPGs have done better, if that makes sense. Like, like right. so whereas back in 2015, I was like, oh wow, this is awesome. Playing it now, it's like, this is still good, but I've played better. Um, right yeah but it's cool i'm glad it's gotten a second uh chance on the switch and uh it is a lot of fun it's a unique game i just think there's some like sketchy ideas where it doesn't always work it's it's quite experimental in its nature and there's a lot of stuff it doesn't quite work for me Uh, Mm um but there's also plenty of stuff that does work so yeah i I don't know how i'm going to articulate all this in a review but it it should be all good (laughs) yeah for me what really stood out to me about Tokyo Mirage Sessions was its combat system and how yeah. well it kind of implemented thematic elements from both series. So the weakness system of uh, the Shin Megami Tensei series and the weapon triangle of the Fire Emblem series and just yeah. pulling off these really flashy long combos always felt really good. Meanwhile, the weakest part of the game was easily the story and the characters for me, especially yeah. the main character Itsuki. 
Asynchron. May as well be a silent protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do anything and it's really frustrating. Yeah, um, so yeah, I was st- just the not story, invested The story and characters are really underwhelming. I also didn't like, um, again, I'm going to mention this in review, but as time goes on, you have to forget certain moves. You have to like, you run out of slot spaces, so you forget mm-hmm. certain moves, which is quite a typical thing. I know that that's a thing in Persona and Shin Megami Tensei. But yep. what I find irritating is to relearn your old moves, you have to re-upgrade your old weapons. So you you remake them and you re-upgrade them. So it's taking a lot right. of control and, and option away from the player. It's Yeah, it, it doesn't encourage experimentation that well. Yeah, and if that's the thing like comparing it to Dragon Quest Eleven, I really like how with that you can change your weapons on the fly. You can reassign all your skill points just by paying a bit of money. And it's like, you can spend five minutes and you've totally reorganized your whole party. They've all got mm-hmm. different classes and different weapons. And I think that's really cool that you can change your strategy so easily. And right. it's a shame that in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, you can't do that. So, and that goes back to your point about how, saying how you've played better games at this point yeah. compared to when it first came out. Yeah. But I do like yes. it. It is fun. <laughs> exactly. It's still a good game. And I'm glad that it's getting a second chance on the Switch because coming out... It was a very niche game coming out at the end of the Wii U life cycle. It yeah. was doomed for failure from the start. So yeah, speaking of Persona, I've been, I played the uh, Persona 5 Scramble demo, the Japanese oh. demo, and I cannot wait for this game. I, and so, I played it too, and it is so good. Yeah, exactly. Like they were, they were flaunting this game as Persona 5 2, the sequel to Persona 5, and they are not kidding about that. This isn't like, persona 4 arena or uh, persona 4 dancing all night where they're like oh yeah it technically takes place after the end of the stories um th- no this is like a full-blown persona story mm-hmm. and does it just feel like a muso clone though? no does it feel yeah, like so, another one so the gameplay it's it feels much more like a platinum action game than a muso clone oh like, oh, oh so, okay you do have mm. so the very opening bit they have they just put you plop you straight into a battle and it seems like a muso at that point because you're like this large open street and there's like waves of enemies but that's meant to be like a get you hyped for the game kind of moment they did a similar thing for the original persona 5 but then once you get into the right, game, right, right and right, mind yeah. you this demo was like two and a half hours long and okay. I didn't get to an actual battle for like an hour to an hour and a half because Wait, that first, was it just a bunch of story. Yeah, it was just a bunch of story. Like because that's really cool. A quick spoiler warning for the end of Persona Five. So the main character eventually goes back to his hometown, and so Persona Scramble it picks up with him coming to visit all of his friends during uh, summer vacation. Oh, that's great! And so they go back it. to LeBlanc. They throw a big celebratory party for them. And fortunately, I can understand enough Japanese to get what's going on because their interactions are so great. I cannot emphasize how nice it is see, to see this game I, back I together. I didn't know any of the Japanese, so I was just kind of fast-forwarding through these bits, unfortunately. Oh, no. It, it, I, I, really, it I really wanted to know what they were saying, obviously. Yeah, just like Morgana ripping into Ryuji for everything. Or yeah. Just like Ryuji in general. It was also my first time really hearing the Japanese voices for these characters, and they're fantastic. And so, yeah, you you don't get to your first battle for like an hour and a half or so. And then so mm-hmm. you finally get there. And instead of palaces, you have jails now. And these jails, much like the palaces, are very unique. You're going, you're going to progressing through them. And as you get to different areas, a small-scale battle will happen just with like 10 or 15 mobs or so here and there. And the encounter oh, rate is very similar to what it was like, I felt like, in Persona 5, how often you get into the symbol encounters there. And so you fight and you be done in like... A minute or so, so like that. So it's not like the the 
normal Musou style where you're on this gigantic battlefield with like forts everywhere and you're like managing multiple areas and reinforcing uh, different It's more focused platoons. on small scale like intricate fights. Exactly. And mm-hmm. the, the way That's they incorporate really cool. the persona elements into the fighting is so, so, so cool. So uh, during the fight, you can hold down the R trigger and that will bring out your persona and it will slow down time. And from there, you Oh can, my God, I love it. Yeah, and then okay. you can choose from all the standard persona skills like Aggie, uh, Aha, and just like the super basic ones because it's the beginning of the game. But like those will consume SP and then it'll like cast it in a wide area. What and wait, it shows you, an area are you able well. to like my collect and fuse personas? You absolutely will, yes. Okay, that, was, okay. that was in one of the recent trailers my, as well. My favorite thing as well is that like you could interact with the environment. So if there was like yes. a, a sort of a, a, a platform above you, you could jump up to it and then hit like the X button and it would fall on the floor and hurt enemies. So like, I really loved how, because I think in certain Musou games, there's like a, a jump button, but it feels just random. Like it's not needed. But in this one, it actually felt like it had a purpose where you can jump up to certain objects and items. Um, so is there actually like a decent amount of verticality? The, I was just about yeah. to say, there is a real sense of verticality in this game, yeah. which is very perfect considering like the agile nature of the Phantom Thieves. The All enemies have weaknesses also. So just like in... Uh, the original Persona game, if you hit the enemies with their weakness, it'll knock them down. And then you can do, not necessarily an all-out attack, I don't know, some of the tutorials kind of went over my head, but you had like a stage where you kind of like all gang up on them, but it wasn't the same aesthetic as an all-out attack. Mm -hmm. And then there was like another level beyond that that I wasn't quite sure how it triggered. It happened during the boss fight at the end of the demo, but that was like an actual all-out attack with like the red splash screen and all that at the end. Um, It's really cool. Yeah, exactly. I love how they've incorporated everything. I like how it's not a traditional Musou game, obviously. I like that it's something different, but at the same time, I wouldn't be mad if they did include some sort of mode where you can just go in and do a battle. Because something I do enjoy about this genre of game is sometimes just pulling it up and thinking, yeah, let's just hop on and do a fight and play a level. So it would be cool if there was some sort of maybe like arena you could go to to do various fights, to upgrade your characters maybe, or just for, for the fun of it. Kind of like an arcade sort of mode. Right, I'm sure there will be. Uh, an interesting point also is that there was a recent interview with, I believe, the director and producer of the game. And they were saying how they don't think of this as a Musou game either. But it was originally supposed to be a Musou game. And like a Musou game, a Persona Musou game would be Persona characters across all the franchises. It'd be something mm. like Persona Q. And so you'd have like... I'm forgetting, blanking on every single Persona character's name outside of Five right now. But you'd have them all come together and fight together. Yeah. But in this one, it's very focused on the Persona Five cast. It's just them plus one new character, Sophia, and that's it. Um, Sophia is great, by the way. Her personality is just this really funny naivete. She's kind. She's kind of like Morgana, where she's born in this shadow space, but she's more aloof than Morgana is. It's great. Mm. Anyways, I I really like how focused this game is. It's not mm. just throwing in the everything plus the kitchen sink as like a celebration of the series. They are taking a very critical eye at what makes Persona and specifically Persona 5 so much fun and translating that to an action-style combat. Mm. And it feels so natural. There's no English release date for this game yet, unfortunately. Hopefully oh, we'll hear some news bad. after Royal comes out next month. But yeah. Oh, that's what, what's coming out. Right, right. Royal's yes. coming out then, Scramble. Yes, I'm exactly. excited. Uh, even though I've played Persona 5 twice, I know that Royal doesn't add loads of new content. I am looking forward to it. Just because I'm Persona just, 5 is one of I'm the best curious, games ever made. I'm curious if Scramble's going to do any kind of confidant system or like how... Because like, I want Kawakami. 
I want her. I want her in the. I want she her can do her full. Now that summer vacation is happening, she can commit full time to her other job. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Are we ready to talk about some news then? Yes. All right. Oh so, kick things off. Uh, unfortunately, we. I don't think any of us have seen Carol on Tuesday. Correct. No, no, that's that's yeah, been on my list. Yes, it's definitely been on mine. It is a nominee for our best anime of the year on the Crunchyroll Awards, which happens to be uh, premiering tonight, which is February fifteenth for us right now. It's in the mm-hmm. past for you, dear listener, because you're listening to this in the future compared to us. Oh, but by now you know what won. It probably wasn't Carol on Tuesday. It's probably Kimetsu no Yaiba. Anyways. So there was an interview with the director for the show, Shinichiro Watanabe, recently. And it's there's just a lot of really neat tidbits in this interview that are kind of heartwarming in a way. Because for us, uh, we've all grown up on Western music, I assume, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And so it's kind of similar in Japan, but not as much. So they have their own sense of music, but growing up, they're also exposed to a lot of Western music. And that's supposedly been diminishing a little bit nowadays compared to in the early 1980s and 1990s, which is surprising. And so the director for Carol on Tuesday, Shinichiro Watanabe, he made this show because he wanted to have people, modern Japanese people, listen to Western music. And if you're not familiar with the story, all the songs in Carol on Tuesday are in English. And I'm talking like normal English, not English, but actual English. And... He's very, very touched at the reception it's got and how people are so supportive of it and how it's going on to get its third concert now. Uh, his dream oh, in neat. creating this work was that it would inspire people to host concerts. And the fact that it's happened is really touching. Nice. What, what bands and artists does he feature in it? Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's just a duo that he brought together, like two, uh, two female singers. I forget the name of them. Oh, but yeah, they, they they cover Western music. No, no, they, it's their own what their own songs they wrote for this series. Oh, I see. So, yes. so it's yeah, but it's it's original music, but it's like all in English. Yeah, I see. Yes, yes, exactly, and that that speaks to a lot of its large scale popularity. Another aspect of the show he mentions is that the reason he featured the show on Mars, this takes place in the future, a terraforming and all that. Is because he wanted to reinforce the theme that a love of music is consistent aspect across all of human existence. It doesn't matter where you are, what time you are in. Like music is always going to be a large part of our lives, which is definitely a, a concept I can get behind on. Yeah. And in that regard, there are also other anime that kind of use fantastical elements to emphasize that relatable human trait in all of us. Can you guys think of any off the top of your head? So, so things that like. Things that emphasize the idea that we're, we're all connected and we're all gonna. So things like in anime, there's some sort of fantastical element to it, but its purpose is to emphasize a common re- point of relatability as to our uh, existence as humans. Hmm. When you put on the spot like this, this is a difficult question. Yes, <laughs> like, like I'll give Kyle a hint. You're watching one right now, I'd say. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> um, I mean, okay, so uh, to to bring up one that like you know you you've seen Harry like. The, a large part of like why I enjoyed your name and why I'm enjoying mm-hmm. Fruits Basket right now is that people just have this innate desire to be connected. And that's, that translates across like any kind of like any, any across cultures and languages. It's like that, that's just a very common human feature. Yeah. 
and, and desire. I, I guess uh, you mentioned it in relation to the Crunchyroll Awards, but uh, Demon Slayer is quite an obvious one where just like, you know, with all its kind of fantasy-related demon stuff, it's, it's always focused narratively on family and the bonds mm-hmm. of family. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. obviously through uh, Tanjiro and Nezuko's relationship. So I guess you've got something like that that's, that's obviously like based on our bonds and our relationships. Right, exactly. Despite everything falling apart around them, when it's just Tanjiro and Nezuko together, you can definitely feel the uh, sense of familial bonds between them. And that's something yeah. that anyone can relate to. It doesn't matter if you've lived in their world or not. Mm. Another point about Fruits Basket that I bring up is part of the story of Fruits Basket is that this family is cursed to turn into their Zodiac animals if they're hugged by the opposite gender. And that's obviously like a very fantastical element to it. But it's just that concept is just there to kind of serve uh, to emphasize a very bizarre family circumstances that may be one of many different things. And it's just, you can, tons and tons of people out there are in these very unique family circumstances that they, if you were to try to tell someone about it, it would almost seem like it's fiction in a way. Like, I can't believe your mom does that or they treat you this way and so on and so forth. Mm. And it's just, the Soma family curse is just kind of, the uh what's the word the manifestation of that and so i really appreciate that about fruits basket as well so yeah it's just it's really important to kind of take a step back sometimes and think about yes these anime are telling us very great stories and they bring us to worlds that we could never experience ourselves but when it comes down to it, their underlying messages are still something that are very, very relatable. I, I think that's, that's something I adore about the whole medium, though, like narratively, that um, it's not just like always about making an entertaining story. That that will obviously be a part of it, but it is also about having like various sort of impactful themes and trying to open your mind slightly in certain ways. And I think that's not always as evident with Western media. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why I really like the, exactly. the whole medium. Speaking of opening our minds, we apparently need to open have more open minds to the concept of sex. Oh. Um. So there is a little oh. known show this season. Actually, I'm not even sure if I can say it's airing anymore. There was was a show airing this season called Interspecies Reviewers. Are oh, either you aware right. of the show? Yes. No. Sounds like yeah. Kyle is. No. Yeah, it's got a very okay. surprisingly really good opening. Um, but yeah, there's news here. This is okay. fun news. Yes. So to Phil, Harry, and anyone else who is unaware about this show, Interspecies Reviewers takes place in a fantasy world. It's not an isekai world. It's just straight up fantasy. It follows a group of very competent adventurers. They get the job done very well, and their names are pretty well known. But on the side... They also have made a name for themselves by visiting all the various monster girl brothels in this universe and rating the experience they had there. And that's the show. That sounds quite entertaining, actually. <laughs> sounds so, interesting. So, so yes, here, here's the thing is the, the show is oddly rational about its uh, review. So the group of adventurers, they they also consist of various races as well. So you got the human, the elf, the lamia, the halfling, and so on and so forth. And they all have different combati- compatibilities, for lack of a better word, with other monster girls. And so the way they rate their experiences are very rational. It's like, oh, I guess that is something an elf would say, or that's something a lamia would say. And I hate the show because of that, because I want to hate it just on principle, uh, because mm-hmm. it is a very, very etchy show. It's borderline hentai. 
And sure enough, a lot of platforms and broadcasting stations ruled that it did cross the line a bit too much. Right. So uh, it's, it's got a lot of like sexual content, but it's just a bit too There much. is a sexual content warning slapped right across the screen right off the bat. And there is a lot of nudity that is censored for the broadcast versions. But even the censored versions wasn't enough because it has now been removed from Funimation, has been removed from Amazon, and it has been removed from the Japanese television station, Tokyo MX. Mm. Because even the censored versions weren't enough to meet their broadcasting standards, quote unquote. I feel like that could be quite a fun concept if it wasn't just like a... a a hentai, basically. The fact that they're kind of going down that route is a bit like, oh, do you have to? I feel like you can't divorce the two. You can't divorce the two because like it's literally a show about like how what what having sex with other species is like. I guess, but I thought so it, the I big thought, question of this like, why isn't like, it a hentai, basically. I thought it's gonna explore like the social dynamic and the politics of that rather than just like the literal, oh, no. the, the, the literal acts. Like, like I feel we can put that together yeah. in our heads, and, and it's more about like how are these. But that's how I feel that's like, how are these adventurers perceived by the world, <laughs> e- whilst being more sexually liberated. How does the world perceive them, and how does that, oh, sure. oh, that, 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 that could be very well affect their career? And, and that's fair. Do you know what I mean? I've, and I mean, that could what, be how do these brothels work, and what's the yeah what, right? That could be a fun show. The ethics behind it all, and the, the philosophy. That's like. That's not the point of the show. That that's at that point it'd be another different, uh, just a different show entirely. A better show. So, <laughs> yes. well, I get it depends it on what have you want. <laughs> and well, see that that just brings up the whole like dichotomy between oh, it's okay if you know you see somebody get disembowel on screen, but show a vagina. Oh, of, wow! Of course, yeah, suddenly yeah. everybody's like fucking losing their minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it's that whole idea behind okay, there really shouldn't be this stigma. But there is. Mm. Right. And because of that, like, you can't, like, hey, fuck you if you want to watch this. Even though it says exactly, it's not tricking anybody. It says says exactly what it is on the tin. And people are fucking freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't get why people get so offended over it. Like, I, I, yeah, it's a bit weird when people get that bothered by stuff. To give Funimation and I think Amazon as well the benefit of the doubt, though. Um, they, They weren't removing, because... Like Kyle said, they knew what they were getting into when they were picking the show up. And from what I've read, the reason that they removed it wasn't purely because like of its content material. It was the fact that in order to legally stream it on their services, they had to censor it so much to where it was almost unrecognizable to the original series. And that just oh didn't help because in this sphere of anti-censorship, that didn't uh, jive well with their ideals and so they'd rather just take it off entirely than compromise the story for people mm. Mm. Uh, because there are entire scenes in this where it they just black out the screen and say please just enjoy the sounds <laughs> and that's it for like 30 seconds or more Wow! and so yeah but wait there's more the story doesn't end there so after the uh after the show was taken down on from funimation there were a couple of youtube very prominent anime youtubers that made videos on it uh, specifically Nuxtaku, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with. I wasn't familiar with him either before this. But he has 1.1 million subscribers, so he's a big deal. And he made a video. Basically, I'm not sure if he jokingly meant it or not, but he made a call to arms, essentially, for everyone to flood my anime list. 
and give the show oh, 10 God, out of 10s yeah. Yeah. in spite, despite <laughs> Funimation taking it down. And you know what people did? They did exactly that to the point where interspecies reviewers at for a time was ranked number two in popularity for all of anime of all time. It was ranked just below Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood by oh my God. A, a like span of a few decimal points, basically. Yeah. <laughs> this was such a big deal that it caused my analyst to completely revamp their uh, voting structure <laughs> to prevent this kind of vote brigading. They were already uh, taking measures to counteract uh, duplicate votes, duplicate accounts. And now they had to kind of like roll that vote brigading countermeasure into this package as well. And so now it's back down to its normal score of 7.6, which is still higher than I expected for the show, but, uh, I got to say. But yeah, just the fact that this blew up so much as much as it did is it's because it's hysterical. stupid. Of course it, it blew up because it's stupid. So, yeah, I mean, I guess obviously people are going to think why you've offended by the show. Because if if the content is obviously like very sexual, but it's it's ultimately not offensive, or it's not like harmful, then obviously it's just going to be that reaction from consumers of, well, why ban it then? And as soon as, soon as right. something's banned, it's just that culture of like you want to see it more. If, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. It's like at this point, like, like people are now just going to pirate it. Do you, yeah, do, do you want to listen to this banned album of music? Fuck yeah! Like you know, but if someone <laughs> just said you want to listen to this random album. It's a little bit edgy. It's like, oh, I don't care. But as soon as he says right, banned, exactly. it's like, oh, wow, why is it banned? I wouldn't That's that. something my friend was saying too, is that this this show would not have garnered nearly as much attention as it had if it wasn't for the controversy surrounding it, for sure. And the funny thing is that this isn't going to affect the sales of it in Japan at all because we, as we've talked about before on the show, the success of an anime in Japan isn't driven by its viewing numbers on during broadcast. It's driven by Blu-ray sales after the fact. And the people who are going to buy this from the start, are still going to buy it regardless. This right. isn't going to affect the Blu-ray sales at all. <laughs> Especially if the Blu-rays are uncensored. They will indeed be uncensored. So, so yeah, like, the Blu-rays are going to sell loads. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the little fun tidbit. Funmation loses one show, but they gain another. So, for the first time ever, Paranoia Agent is going to be on a streaming platform via Funimation. Which oh, Paranoia nice. Agent is from the late Satoshi Kon, who we talked mm. about last episode as well. I know it's, it's meant it, to be really good and I need to watch it. Yes, I do too. I, I think I saw the first two episodes or so way back on Toonami. And my feeble preteen mind couldn't comprehend it at all. And so I definitely need to go back and give it another shot It's now. good, yeah. I mean, if you've seen any of Satoshi Kon's other work, it's it just it's a TV series based around like, psychological mind games and people's insecurities so it's great and go watch it because his other movies focus on kind of the like the excuse me they also they focus on the show business uh what does paranoia agent follow what's kind of its uh base story so paranoia agent you can think of it as like a bit of an anthology series where uh there is the it's been a while since i watched it so this is going purely off memory Mm -hmm. um but there is this rumor of the bat kid who goes around and like just clubs people to death. Um, so you follow all of these different vignettes and stories around the city um, about people talking about the rumor, but it's also placed in the context of like their own personal lives. And the, the, the bat kid just functions as a metaphor for like their own personal problems. 
mm-hmm. and how it can basically devolve uh, into like these points of no return where people just give into the, their more base slash psychotic tendencies. Their quote unquote paranoia. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But th- th- that's what it is, right? Like, it, it's an agent of paranoia. That's, like, the whole idea behind the title is, like, he is these people's, like, insecurities manifested. Yeah, and I, exactly. I, I love those kind of psychological thriller shows. That's one of the reasons I like loved uh, Promise Neverland so much. So mm, that's definitely mm-hmm. something that I, all of Satoshi yeah. Khan's stuff. I still have yet to see a single Satoshi Khan work. I know that's <laughs> blasphemy. It, it's... They're good. They're good. Yeah. They will fuck you up. They're good. Yeah, I, I think I need to be in the right mindset to watch them too. Oh, yeah, problem. absolutely. So what I would say is that like any of Satoshi Khan's work is something that's best watched with other people. That way you can talk about it. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's very fair. Yeah, that's a good point. I got to organize a viewing party for that now. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so Funimation loses one show, gains an arguably better one. So all is right with the world. You don't know. You, oh, you've not seen is. Interspecies reviews yet, so you don't know if it's better. Well, I, I did. I saw. Shows. I watched the first three episodes. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I haven't seen four or five yet, so I'm not fully caught up. I know four fe- featured Salamander Girls and five uh, featured Cyclopses. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> and boy. just to, give you, to go through the whole show, the first episode is Elves, Humans... And octopus girls. Mm. The second episode was cowgirls. Was there another one? I think there was another one. I forgot. And the third episode was a gender bender special where the main characters took a gender bender potion to experience what it's like on the girl side of things. Oh, <laughs> okay. So this is an interesting show. Yeah, it just has fun with itself. Whatever. Exactly. Moving on. So we've got digital publishing data in Japan. So the All Japan Magazine and Book Publishers and Editors Association, the AGPEA for short, recently published its uh, statistics on the publishing industry in Japan for the year of 2019. And so the overall publishing market, so this is manga, books, light novels, anything that is in a written format, uh, went up by 0.2% for the year, which is the first time since 2014... (laughs) that the publishing industry in Japan has actually seen an increase. The interesting thing here is, though, that the written publishing, as in uh, the print sales of publishing, fell for the 15th straight year. But digital sales, especially for manga, digital sales for manga rose by a whopping 30% in 2019 compared to 2018. Mm-hmm. To give you a few, a little bit more of a statistic, it has... More, it has doubled in revenue since uh, 2015 to 2019. So in 2015, it made and, the equivalent of 150 million U.S. dollars, and in 2019, it made 319 million U.S. dollars. So again, pretty obvious. Uh, physical media is taking a dive, but digital is coming up. Another neat little tidbit, though, even though physical as a whole fell. Physical manga sales saw a 4% increase, and that was due in large part to Kimetsu no Yaiba, Demon Slayer. Because <laughs> people were just buying those volumes in droves after the anime aired. And I don't blame them because it's awesome. Yeah, for the digital stuff, though, it makes sense because it's a lot easier. To, well, not only is it easier, uh, there's also a lot more active discourse against scanlations. Mm-hmm. So people are making that switch. Um, but Oh yeah, one, it, one other... 
to to that mm -hmm. point. This is in correspondence to the Japanese uh, manga piracy site that got shut down, Mangamura. So that got shut down. That was like one of the big sites for Japanese cancellations, and then we see this large increase. Yeah, yeah, but it also helps that like it's fairly accessible now. Like I think the Shonen Jump subscription is like two bucks a month, and it's like okay, yeah, I have access to the entire Shonen Jump library. Why would I not pay two dollars a month? I also think with with reductions of physical sales, it's also like people still buy things physically if it's really, really fucking like awesome in terms of the packaging. It's why like vinyls have had a resurgence, for example, because like there's a real sense of like, wow, I've got a vinyl. Like I've got this huge album, this huge like picture thing. Um, whereas like with say, a, a, just a typical like plastic CD, it's really underwhelming. Just having mm -hmm. like the, the plastic case Whereas for me, like if I see a CD and it's in like a sort of fold out sleeve, it'll be like, oh, awesome, I'll get that. Because like, I think there's there's more value in physical things if it's really nicely presented. Um, and I guess manga would be the same if it's just like a really typical paperback manga, but it's just going to get like tattered and torn over time. Then you're going to be less incentivized to buy that. But if it's some sort of really fancy, like hardback kind of book almost, you're probably more likely to buy that. I'm just like, yeah, it's almost yeah. like, there's value in inconvenience. <laughs> mm. The the more inconvenient, the rarer something is, and that makes it valuable in someone's eyes. Yeah, in mm -hmm. a weird way. Yeah, yeah. Anything else to say about that? It's pretty straightforward. It's just yeah. I, I nice, get why. Need, need a little statistics. I, again, it's like I get why physical sales do reduce. And it's the same as like if you look back with video games. I remember when we used to have like massive booklets, and like mm. you get these big manuals, and it, it really felt like oh, I've got a game I can read from the manual. But obviously over time, it's just become much more forgettable. It's just now you're just getting a disc. And yeah, I, exactly. I miss the game manual I get. I miss so the much. game manual. So it's like, I understand mm. why you're choosing between digital or a physical one. But what do you really get with a physical one? You, you just get the inconvenience of having to put in a disc. Yeah, So it's exactly. like, yeah, I get why digital is bigger now. Because actually physical doesn't offer you anything that's better. And there's also the... Uh... The carbon footprint standpoint as well. It's saving on paper. It's saving totally. on just actual physical materials. Yeah, so yeah. It's just it's just convenience. Better for the environment. Just convenience. Exactly. All right, we'll finish up with a quick one. This is more specifically for me because the Fate Grand Order smartphone game has now surpassed four billion dollars in revenue. Fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And this is just showing how big the Fate franchise is. For those who weren't aware. Fate Grand Order was also the number one tweeted about game in 2019 on Twitter, even beating out the likes of Fortnite. Oh my god. Yes. So I have interest more... how much I mean I was, I was gonna say like for mobile games, like how much did Mario Kart Tour get? But I'm I'm guessing that this would have gotten a lot more then. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like this like... is Fate Grand Order is in a completely different level compared to everything else. And from what I know, uh, Mario Kart Tour is more or less flopped. Yeah, yeah. It's not doing too well. Uh, some more factoids about this is that uh, Fate Grand Order has earned more in four years than the Metal Gear Solid, Solid series has earned in its entire 32-year history. Oh, my wow. God. And when we break down where the earnings come from for this game, 81% of it comes from Japan, which is unsurprising. 10% uh, of it comes from China. And then only 4% of it actually comes from the U.S. So $151 million of those eight or those $4 billion comes from the U.S. Fucking whales. <laughs> but keep in mind that it's only been out in the U.S. for two years compared to the four years it's been out in Japan and China. But still. Well, yeah, I, I, mo mobile games are much bigger in Asia, too. Yeah, exactly. 
going back to the whole Twitter thing too, uh, Japan was also the country with the most tweets. So that's probably why you saw fake grand order so much higher than Fortnite. But it's just, it's crazy. Because I in my head, I know how big mobile games are, but then I see statistics like this that blow my mind. I'm also writing an article right now of what is Grand Blue Fantasy in anticipation for Grand Blue Fantasy Versus. Mm. And again, I knew how big it was, but like digging into it. So in tw the 2015 Tokyo Game Show, the Psy Games booth, with only which only featured Grand Blue Fantasy, was just as big as Sony's entire booth. And they were the two biggest booths in the entire show. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. People go hard for gotcha. Yep. And I'm the only degenerate that actually plays these gotcha games. <laughs> I, I, so the thing about gotcha and like what, what, what gets people right is like they, they like the aesthetic. They, they like the art. They like pretty anime girls. And it's like, I appreciate that, but I'm not about to like play a game mm -hmm. that's like very thinly veiled gameplay, which is just like slot machines. So it's like, yeah, right. ah, I think uh, the important part for Fake Grand Order and Grand Blue Fancy as well is how the attention they give their stories, I think, is the important yeah, part. That yeah, there's definitely, like, well, why a large part of why, like, Twitter and social media is just so big on it is because there is a lot of fan content that comes out. Mm -hmm. so, because the games provide yeah. the, ne the necessary fuel for that fan content. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, here, here are, like, dozens of waifus. Go exactly. have fun. And it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, that's easy. That's why idols are so big. This is what, what? It's why idols are so big. Oh, idols. I thought you said I-O. I'm like, <laughs> what, the, the moon? What? Yeah, okay. well, there's a character in Grand Blue called I-O. Oh, it's true. Yeah, true. So okay. she, she could be big. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of waifus, Kyle, have you received any chocolates from your waifus? No, unfortunately not. Oh, I went to go see the Sonic movie with the boys. Valentine's so. Day. No, no Valentine's chocolate. Yeah, Carrie, did you receive any chocolates from Wife? I, I did not. No. Also, did not. also, they'd have to be vegan chocolates for me, so it makes it very difficult. Oh, that's very. That so is very all, difficult. All those human, like all of the many, many uh, wonderful women who wanted to send me chocolates because there's so <laughs> there's so many. Um, like, yeah, we're done with this bit now. <laughs> yeah. So ye yesterday at time of recording was in fact, Valentine's day. And so in celebration of that, our main topic this week is going to be about romance in anime, nothing more appropriate than that. So kind of what are some of our favorite couples in anime, anime, what are our favorite romances? What do we, what do we appreciate in a good anime romance? And what are some things that can be accomplished in an anime romance that can't be accomplished in another uh, medium. And I know Kyle has some very strong opinions on a very specific aspect to get us started I do. off here. Yeah. Kyle, take So, I really like rom-coms. Really? But what, <laughs> <laughs> what, what always bothers me about rom-coms, specifically fucking anime rom-coms, is that they always stop when the couple becomes a couple. And most of the time, the story focuses on the, ooh, will they? Won't they? But they're literally, like, the two main characters on the fucking cover. So my... The, the one I will point to, because this always gets... I have to preface this by saying I don't disagree that it's a really good love story, but I wish there was more of Toradora. Mm -hmm. Because I really enjoy Toradora, 
but literally like you don't see them as like a couple at all really you get like the last minute of the show which is really cute and i just want to see like more more just romantic rom-com antics between them that isn't awkward not manufactured tension but expected tension Right, and uh, what the thing so, is so about it feels like it builds up to this reward of them being together, but then it's just like, okay, the reward. All right, over we're now. done. That's we're it. fucking done. You've got so, the reward, you. but actually, it's gone. Bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because here's what... the thing about relationships, just in real life, just getting together isn't the end. No, <laughs> still, it is. Things can go <laughs> wrong during an actual relationship too, and which is what I want to see, and that's yeah. fun. And there's and a lot of and that's how stuff. they grow as well. Yeah, this that's why. I really like shows or series like Surizuri Children, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Kaguya-sama. I haven't gotten like super deep into it, but I know that like like a confession happened like a while ago and it's just been them figuring out how, like, how to be a couple now, which oh, is okay. really fun um, as an idea, right? Because that's so fucking novel. Right. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a huge rarity because like I can't really think of other series. I know Golden Time was one. Um, which I appreciated mostly, but yeah, yeah it's very time, sparse. Time the time. <laughs> yeah, the other two examples I can think of are uh, White Album 2, and technically White Album 1 as well, but White Album 1 wasn't good, and uh, my, my Love Story. Have you heard of either of those? I tried to watch My Love Story. It was a little too shoujo for my tastes. That's fair. I've, yeah. I've not heard of either, no. Okay, so I'll start with my love story. And my love story, I wouldn't like champion as like a, a paragon of romance. It was kind of like a saccharine sweet thing for me to watch. Yeah. But it, its whole yeah. premise is that this really petite little girl and this massive giant of a man fall in love with each other. And in the first two episodes, they kind of play it off as like it's going to be all of them realizing their love for each other. But within those first two episodes, they get together. It's like, oh, we love each other. Let's date. And it's kind of them kind of fumbling along, figuring out how to have a relationship with each other because it's their first time. And it's just very sweet. I don't think there was any real drama that happened in it, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. It's by Madhouse, which is surprising. Right, uh, yeah, that was... White weird. Album 2, on the other hand, is a tour de force of emotions. It is probably my favorite romance in an anime, hands down. And my mm. one of my favorite dramas as well. So White Album 2, White Album 1 was took place in a university and it was okay but there was a lot of like stretches they took to kind of make its points but i was really pleased with it because it was a university story and it was more mature and i want more of that like golden time as well so when i was going into white album two and it went back to a high school setting i was kind of rolling my eyes like oh boy here we are back to the graveyard of creativity and so i wasn't really expecting a whole lot from white album two but holy shit was I wrong? Uh, so the way they, the core cast of White Album 2 is one male character and two females. And they really emphasize and play up just how close of a bond they have through music again, once again. And the guy gets together with one of the girls fairly quickly throughout um, throughout the series, like within the first half. And so the second half is about him being together with this girl while still being friends with the other girl, which pro- who also probably has feelings for him. And there is a lot of tangible tension there of like the characters trying to reconcile their own feelings and what's important to them, how much they value their friendship, 
as opposed to the relationship they have with their significant other and so on and so forth. And it all culminates into the biggest, hardest, most painful gut punch I've ever had the displeasure of experiencing in anime history. Mm. Like I was so distraught at the ending of this show. It is a beautifully, it is a beautiful ending, but I was so distraught that I, it it definitely kickstarted me to, it kickstarted my uh, passion to learn Japanese kanji again, because I wanted to play the visual novel to see what happens afterwards (laughs) in the the second half of the story, because the visual novel has not been translated yet. So I cannot emphasize enough how incredible White Album 2 is. Also, the music is great too. So yeah, that that is something that I really appreciate. Because again, it going back to Kyle's point, it shows the ups and downs of actually being in a relationship too. And also sometimes the awkwardness of having having relationship within your own friend circle. Why is, a, the why is White Album 1 not as good? White Album 1 is not as good because they're, the way it jumps, be, it has a lot of logic jumps for why certain characters feel about another character. It felt, it also felt a lot like more, a lot more like a harem. Uh, the girls were falling for the main guy for seemingly no reason, and there was a lot more of them. And oh. so White <laughs> Album 2, by really focusing it in on just these three characters, helped a lot. White Album 1 mm. was also really interesting because it dealt with the main character initially going out with an idol, and that caught my attention for a while, and then they do kind you, of got distracted from Do you point. need to see White Album 1 to understand White mm-hmm. Album 2? You do not. They are completely independent of Wicked. One each other. Wicked. So, is, so yeah. to the, to the yeah. listeners, by all means, jump straight into White Album 2. Exactly. And there are like a couple of references here and there to the characters in White Album 1, uh, but they don't actually play into the story at all. Right, I see. So yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Harry, what's some romance that you've got cooking up in the broiler? That was a really weird <laughs> that was a weird analogy. way of saying it. Uh, <laughs> I want to choose a, something that's like a random thing. I want to choose something different. We were talking about Sonic earlier. Sonic the Hedgehog the oh, movie. Oh no, where is this going to go? Say, I really enjoyed, when I saw it about eight or nine years ago, I really enjoyed the romance between Tails and Cosmo in Sonic X. <laughs> I wanted to name something more obscure. Who, who was Cosmo? <laughs> Was that also a fox? So in, no, in season three of Sonic X, there's this little alien called Cosmo and uh, Tails and Cosmo develop feelings for each other. And uh, it's interesting because it culminates in a really, really sad scene, kind of like with White Album 2, although maybe not as sad because it's Sonic <laughs> X. And uh, four kids dubbed it and they ruined it <sighs> completely. <laughs> but it's I'd recommend looking up like the... I, I mean... Basically, I'm assuming you don't mind Sonic X spoilers, but uh, this, this... its The Statue of Limitations is yes. up on that, I so think. It's, it's, they kind of have a will-they-won't-they they relationship in Series 3 of Sonic X, whether in space. And she's like a kind of plant alien girl. And she oh, has boy. to... She goes onto a planet, I seem to remember, and Tails has to fire a big laser gun at her to destroy the planet and to destroy her. <laughs> and then she, she plants loads of seeds everywhere. It's all a bit weird, all a bit strange. But yeah, the idea is so he has to kill her, and and uh, and as he does, he says, "I love you," and it's all it's all very sad. The ultimate metaphor the for ulti- love, yeah. <laughs> and uh, in four kids, they just kind of dubbed it. He's like, "You're my friend, Cosmo. Goodbye." And they can't mention love <laughs> at all. They're not allowed to mention anything romantic. <laughs> so like, he's just, he's just crying. He's like, "You're my friend," and it's just like, "Fucking hell, you ruined that so much." But yeah, I wanted to mention that because that was. 
for me, as weird as it sounds, that's probably the most impactful anime love moment I've ever seen. Oh my in, god! So what? What part, specifically about their relationship <laughs> leading up to the the end? It's just fucking adorable. It's just adorable. Out. I'm just such a sucker of Sonic characters, but I just <laughs> find it so adorable. Even though it's fucking stupid, I can fully acknowledge it's stupid. It's it's tales of fox being in love with this alien. It's it's so stupid. A plant alien. Yeah, but I I just I was so into it. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge me. Okay. But there there is something to dig into there though, though. When uh though though, when <laughs> when an actually heartwarming romance arises out of something that by all accounts should be absurd it almost makes it even more memorable than a regular romance. So that's actually very fair. That's actually very fair because that's kind of how I feel with Dragon Maid. Um, Okay, let's get it. Because it's such a fucking trashy series. And literally, like, so the, the core concept of Kobayashi and Toru just meeting is that Kobayashi gets drunk, wanders into the woods, and pulls a sword out of a giant fucking dragon. So as thanks, the dragon shows up as a giant big titty anime girl maid because she knows that's what, like, Kobayashi is into. So that alone is, like, super fucking trashy, right? But, like, to your point where it's because of what would otherwise be, like, a ridiculous premise, the fact that they actually, like, develop a very sweet domestic family relationship is like really endearing and it is legitimately one of my favorite anime relationships yeah i remember there was a scene when kobayashi is alone in the house for a while and she's just thinking like damn it's it's really quiet yeah i'm not sure if i like yeah, this and this is right? what i lived in what? yeah and well, what, what, what's really cool is like so that that's kind of like the the aspect of like relationships that doesn't really get covered a lot but it's just how much you enjoy other people's company. And that is a large part of what not just romance, but love for another person is just being around another person. Exactly. Just like the act of doing something in the presence of another person. You don't even have to be doing it together with the person. Just if you're reading a book with another person in the room or you're playing a game with another person in the room, you don't even have to be interacting with each other. But for whatever reason, that just makes it so much more soothing and calming than doing it on your own. Mm. Yeah, right? And, okay, so that's actually, like, I think probably when we were talking about it earlier, it's like, okay, well, what can anime do that's really only unique for anime that will, like, give some context to uh, romance? And I think it is the fact that there is that juxtaposition of you can have something kind of fucking ridiculous, like an anthropomorphic fox falling in love with an alien space creature or this <laughs> fucking like weirdly like w- weird dead fish of a person falling in love with this like magical giant boobed dragon lady and it's like yeah those are ridiculous premises but when they if if and when they get played straight like they can be very sweet and endearing it, it's yeah, just it all just comes down to character if you like the two characters involved exactly irrespective yeah. of the context if you like each character, you'll just root for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's what it boiled down to. Yeah. And I think uh, another aspect uh, to your point, Kyle, is the fact that slice of life genre exists in anime where it doesn't really. Oh, that's that true. That's true. Outside of yeah. anime. And so, yeah, having it can intersperse those little moments that aren't like these mm-hmm. sparkle eyes, hearts coming out of everyone's heads moments, but they just really solidify like these are people. These are a couple of yeah, people and that's that why things aren't I always like, going to be happening. Yeah, and that's why I really like 
Slice, I, I really like Slice of Life just because it does show like the mundane aspects of living. But that's why I like Slice of Life rom-coms a lot because it shows them in just kind of casual hanging out contexts because that's what a lot of a relationship is, just you hanging out. Exactly. Changing gears a little bit from the wholesome relationships though. There is a an anime called Scum's Wish. Ooh, that I've heard of I'm that. Also yeah. A real big fan of. So Scum's Wish is not a wholesome show. Oh. It, it it covers the very 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 hairy nature of hookup culture in high school and friends with benefits. And so the basic premise of the show is that the two main characters, so Mugi and Hana, they they both have forbidden loves for their teachers basically. But they know that their their loves can't come to fruition. So instead, and they realize that between each other too, because they see it in each other's eyes. And so they end up getting in a relationship with each other, Hana and Mugi, to kind of vent those, uh, those feelings out, because even though they don't actually love each other. And what this creates is this downward spiral of destruction between the two oh as they God. try to come to terms with, like, oh my God. I, I can't stop these feelings and I keep overlaying the person I love over you and I can't rectify that in between myself. And then other characters come into play as well around them that want to try to get them to have a healthy relationship, but they get wrapped up in things as well. And oh no Lord, that sounds happy by the end of the series. That it sounds so very, fucking heavy. Holy shit. Yes, it is. Who wants they, to watch way, because the, normally... In anime, they kind of tiptoe around this, like, oh, yeah, people don't have sex. It's just used as a joke. But no, like, Hana and Mugi are very, like, in the very first episode, you see them having sexual intercourse. It's it's very clear what kind of relationship they have. And they do not shy away from the psychological impacts that has on the very, very right mind of a high schooler, essentially. Yeah. But what really sticks out to me, though, is I'm not going to spoil the ending, of course, but the they the way it shows them learning their lesson in the end it is they things don't get wrapped up in a nice little bow but they still show them making a very very hard decision and you walk out of that that series feeling very proud of the characters knowing that they will they'll recover they'll get better even though they are hurting on such a deep soulful level right now right Oh, that's fucked up. But the writing's it, good, though. Sounds like oh, yeah, a, the, the writing is great. The music, like really oh my God, the music is, just deserves attention as well. The music just, it it really does a great job amplifying the emotions you feel during certain scenes and kind of uh, getting across the feeling of a tumultuous mind, just not knowing which way is left or right, not knowing what to do, being so confused about the world. It really gets you into the mindset of these these high schoolers. So you're saying it does a better job of this concept than domestic Kanonjo does? Yes, 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 absolutely. Domestic Kanonjo was uh, the thing bad. about domestic. It was bad, and the thing about domestic Kanonjo as well is that the characters never acknowledge that what they were doing was wrong. They're just like, "Fuck it, we're just gonna do it." Whereas in Scum's Wish, every character is fully aware of what they're doing and why it's bad okay, okay. and why so they shouldn't do it. Okay, okay, so does Scum's Wish, does it feel like a fetish kind of show? Because that is absolutely no. what Domestic Conager no. is. Not, not in the slightest. Okay. In Scum's Wish, much like Fruits Basket, has this large net of characters, and chances are you'll be able to relate to at least one of them. 
Scum's Wish is the same where outside the main duo, there's also a large cast of characters and chances are, and each character has their own view on love and romance and relationships and their thoughts and feelings on it. Chances are there's going to be one character that's gone through some sort of event or has some sort of thought or ideal that you can relate to as well in a more negative way compared to Fruits Basket. And it really pulls you into their story because of that. So that's why it doesn't it doesn't feel like fetishy to me like uh, Domestic and Econojo was because it's all very grounded in apprehensions that real people have. Mm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel melodramatic. No, no. I, I mean, it, it really, it struts the line between melodrama and realism, but for the most part, I think it, it really nails it. There, it might okay. fall into melodrama here and there a bit, but it never, it never felt like that on the grand scheme of things gotcha. to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's my problem with a lot of anime is like, not only do couples not get together until like, hey, you're you're done, fuck you. Uh, it, it handles a lot of, and even in shows I enjoy, it feels like it handles a lot of relationships with high amounts of melodrama. Right. So one of the series that I watched uh, and really wanted to enjoy was uh, Pet Girl is Sakura So. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a little too heightened and it, it feels like there are certain jumps in logic and uh, just empathy that you have to develop. It, it's, it's, it's like the show's telling you how to feel, which mm-hmm. is, eh. uh, which is also why I wasn't really super into Mario Kata's previous work, uh, especially Anohana. I, I want to like it. I know that like it is emotional and it, it, it justifies itself, but it's just too much. And it, it's a little more than I want to consume really, I think is what it boils down to, mm-hmm. which is why Oh Maidens felt very nice because yes, it feels like these are actual problems that teenagers, teenagers would go, uh, go through. Right. I, it's definitely, there's a difference between telling the viewer how the characters are feeling and telling the viewer how they are supposed to feel. And that's, that's a distinction that not every anime gets right. And it's definitely something that- I feel like they get it wrong do. more often than not. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, to your point, and Sak- I, I enjoyed Sakurazo, but I definitely see what you mean about them really uh, dialing up the, the emotional meter and Anohana as well, even though that's not really a relationship, a more kind of like, well, a relationship of friendship in a way. But mm-hmm. it's that's where music can kind of be manipulative, even though I praised Scum's Wishes music. Music can also be a detriment. And it is, I, when I it kind of like find swells it really up. annoying when like there's a scene that something like it's trying to be emphasized as a sad scene, but it's ultimately not that sad. But music's being used to try and emphasize that. And it just feels kind of yeah, like it's, it, that was it's one being of my- exploitive. That was one of my mm. big complaints about Violet Evergarden is that like, especially mm. towards the end of the series where it was focused purely on Violet herself, there were so many scenes where just like the music would swell and this gigantic orchestra and she was having this like really emotional moment. And I'm just thinking, I, I'm not feeling this at all. You're telling me I should feel emotions right now, but I don't get it because it's not mm. earned. Mm. And that really, yeah. really bothered me. And I guess it's also kind of like a similar critique to... uh uh, weathering with you that Colin had to had with all the uh, the songs that would play up, all of the vocals and so on and so forth. 
Yeah, and that's that also had the same problem of melodrama where it's like, I don't care about either of you and your problems seem like they're very serious because you're telling me they're serious versus with talking to me in your name. Like, aside from the meteor shit, it's just like they suddenly lose contact with each other and they've grown very close to be, like, they've grown to be very large presences in each other's lives and to have that suddenly like just gone like that's very real, and that's a very, very real, real. If you like, ever, bit if of dramatic you've ever development. Online dating, and you've been ghosted. It's a very real thing. Yeah, it it's like it hits. It hits hard, and you can relate to that, and it's nice. Mm. I mean, it's not nice, but it's like it's you get it, right? Yeah, it's, and, yeah. yeah and it, it comes back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast about even what, even having these fantastical elements. You, they can you can still find a way to. Re- relate it back to real life. And that's when you can really grab the audience and give them something to latch on to. Mm-hmm. I think something I'd like to see more of, uh, we kind of touched on this earlier with like Golden Time um, and White Album Part 1, but I would like to see more adult yes. relationships, yes. which is why I really enjoy Spice and Wolf. Yes, um, Spice and Wolf is so good. Yeah, so that, that like ticks off all of the marks of like, not only is it a really good relationship, but... Polo and Lawrence are both very like high functioning adults, mm-hmm. uh, and the conversations they have are very mature. But also, like there's there is that constant undercurrent of flirting between them. Yes. but it's not like a they, they they know exactly what they want, which is really refreshing to see. And the thing the the dynamic between the two also is so interesting because it's it's similar to Kaguya-sama, where they can never just flat out say what they want. They have to engage in a battle of words and basically get the other side to admit defeat. And then they can say, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, yeah, this is what I want. And I love that about the relationship, how they're just constantly trying to tease at each other. It's just such a joy to see. But and they, they, they full, and it's not like annoying teasing. No. It's like they, they have fun with it. They enjoy yeah. the teasing. Because they're, and it's fully, not like they're fully aware teasing. of what yeah, the other yeah. person wants and they're going to do it anyway. Exactly. And yeah. the viewer is also fully aware. So this is just a fun little game of just seeing them trying to outwit each other. Yeah, and it's really cute. Exactly. It, it does end up being really cute, which is like, ah, I just want more of that. Yep, I will continue reading the light novel eventually. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of adult adult romances, though, there's also a show called Wotokoi, which is... Oh, yeah, Wotokoi. Yeah, and so this one is a story about two working adults, two working otaku adults that eventually start dating each other. And it is a beautiful, beautiful uh, representation of what functioning adult otaku are like where they're like yeah i i can get in with the society and i can talk about normal topics but you get me talking about video games you get me talking about anime and i will go off for ages <laughs> and when you find that person that also can like bounce off of that as well it, it's mm-hmm. just such a beautiful wonderful dynamic mm-hmm. so that that mm-hmm. that show definitely brought a, a smile to my my face as well yeah well that's kind of a similar dynamic to what happened with mmo junkie unfortunately mmo junkie ends before they start dating which is really fucking annoying because i'd like to see just more of them being like awkward nerds around each other and right. say, oh, just come on let me think that's fun that's fun that was a light novel right i think i think it was yeah it definitely got adapted yeah, yeah. so, so. Yeah, I, it's source material is probably somewhere out there if i ever mm-hmm. feel like reading again I'm really bad about like hunting down source material if I want more. Like White Album Two was the only one where I'm like, I need the continuation oh now. God. But that was the one time that there was no English. <laughs> I tried playing the visual novel 
And I got through the equivalent of the first half of the first episode in like three hours in the visual novel, just because oh, I was constantly you to like referring to like a kanji dictionary. Yeah, yeah. Oh my it is God. very, very dense. Oof. All right, Oof. any any other final thoughts about uh, cute couples, fun romance shows? Uh, obviously, uh, I've deliberately up until now, I've obviously not mentioned your name because I know we just mention it every time we record. Because uh, it is kind of like, but it's a, it's a it, good it's movie. Such a good yeah. movie. It's, it, it, like it's as close to perfect as you can yeah, get with an anime. For that, uh, yeah, and for that kind of genre, it's just so good. But I mean, it goes without saying. But the reason we bang on about it so much is because it is the holy grail of like romance movies. I think. But I've only mentioned. It I think now. it's the holy to... grail of like good romance. Well, not 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 good romances, but romances that are positive. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because there are plenty of romances where, like, I mean, like with Scum's Wish, but the one that stuck out to me was uh, Sayana Uta, <laughs> which has a very legitimately like it's 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 a good love story, but it's also like, oh, I fell in love with this eldritch abomination who's going to take over the earth. So that sounds like the name of a light novel, by the way. That sentence. <laughs> it does. It does. Not, you know, when you put it that way, I got to... I was summoned to another world and fell in love with an eldritch abomination new, and now I want to take over yeah, the world. Yeah, the new light novel. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. What, what but, is the longest light novel title, I wonder? Anyways, go on. Oh, oh, I've definitely seen... Oh, I've, yeah, I got to look that up. I, it, it's something like... It's like a fucking paragraph. I imagine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, for, for the most part, it feels like you know, rightfully so. That's like people want to have like enjoy themselves and not feel like shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes you know it. And what I think I like about anime, where yes, you'll have like the slice of life elements, but you'll also have people just do weird shit. Like, all right, cool. I fell in love with this like weird alien monster, or I fell in love with the reincarnation of King Arthur, and she's a girl. So you know that's that's cool. I like that, and it, it gives you like fun contexts to have like explore these relationship dynamics mm-hmm. i fell in love with a zombie i wish sankarea was better this does not get added to this list it was a unique one to your point but not good <laughs> yeah we've, we've wished everyone a happy valentine's yes. day happy belated valentine's day everyone exactly happy chocolate day i imagine you're listening to this approximately 72 hours after the fact Right. So I hope oh, I hope you had a very sweet let's, weekend. Let's upload this episode really late, just so it's uh, <laughs> so actually. Let's put it out in July. Yeah. <laughs> just to so everything everyone. is wrong about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice little time capsule. All right, that's a wrap. Then it's time for our closing segments. Kyle Roga shown where can we find you at? At like the rogue, and what what have I been reading? That's a good question. Oh, well, I'll talk about it because I mentioned it already like early on, but Gotobun Nahanayome Quintessential Quintuplets is wrapping up its manga. Oh, I thought it and finished already. It, it's got one more chapter. Oh, okay. It's got one more chapter. And but the unfortunately, at point. yeah, okay. yeah. The winner has decided. Unfortunately, it has gone from being one of my favorite series to just being just okay. It feels like the last couple arcs, the author was just kind of kind of trying to rush through it but i'll say it again and if you're looking for something that's you know a fun harem rom-com eh, check it out and it's give fun. it give it's the full name gotobun no hanayome literally translated to five-part bride yes but in english it's quintessential quintuplets which i love that translation that is such a fun translation yeah 
it's fun. The, the alliteration, it's cute. It's exactly. fun. It's, it's right. a cute and fun series. Exactly. Harry, where can we find you? I am Harry underscore Morris underscore on Twitter. And uh, I, I don't know what to recommend today. I don't have any any anime. Music. Music. Uh, You're a music guy. I've got, yeah. Oh, uh, and Shikari have a new single out called The Dreamers Hotel, which is really good. And that's off their upcoming album. So uh, check that out. They're a really, really good band. Really liberal, really uh, like socially progressive, which I dig. Uh, but also what just, kind of music? Uh, so they make a mix of stuff. They started as kind of like more of quite a, a heavy sort of rock metal band, but they've kind of become more uh, electronic-y over time. Uh, but they've, oh, got, they've kind of got yeah. like an electronic rock metal punk sort of hybrid band, I'd say. Like so mm. a real mix of stuff, but uh, then they'll do they'll do some tracks that are totally bonkers and and turned up to eleven. They'll do some tracks that are like piano ballads and everything in between. So they're really really cool. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah, they're fantastic. Check them out. They sound like the madhouse of music in a way. Yes. Versatility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're very good. All right, and you can find me at Musing Mojack M U S I N G M O J A C K on Twitter as well as always on Goomba Stomp, where you can find curated list of anime, analyses of shows, what's happening this season, as well as a whole bunch of stuff on video games. I'm also going to be attending PAX East at the end of the month, so you can Ooh. expect to see a lot of coverage coming nice. out on that. My anime recommendation for this episode will be a currently airing show called Somali and the Forest Guardian. And this Oh, show- did that get better? I, I watched the first episode and was like, okay, I see what they're going for. Yes, so... and. They confirm your suspicions even more so in the second episode, Kyle. <laughs> but um, they... So the whole premise is that there is a forest golem that finds a young human child in a world where humans don't exist anymore. For reasons that have not been explained yet, the golem takes the child in and is searching for the parents. And it's the relationship that builds between Somali and the golem is very sweet and heartwarming, even though there's inevitable star-crossed conclusion that's going to happen at the end. But... The real praise I have for the show, though, is just the mesmerizing world and uh, creature designs in it. Because this world mm-hmm. is overtake is completely taken over by these kind of, for lack of a better term, beast people, even though they aren't really beast people. And you got your standard, okay, here's your cat person, here's your dog person, here's like an antelope. But then you have these creatures that are like, I don't even know where the hell that came from. It's nothing like I've ever seen before. And they just have so many of those designs every single episode. In addition to like the the flora and the fauna and the environments, it's just otherworldly. And so if it, even if the story wasn't that good, which the story just keeps getting better and better for me as well, I would still be watching the show purely just because of how absolutely mystifying this world is and it's really nice to see kind of a an actual fantasy world that's not isekai that's so creative and imaginative <laughs> like this uh-huh. and so i really appreciate it for this so that's my recommendation for this episode okay i will keep keep, keep watching it then because i was i was kind of like uh i i already like know where this is going yeah because um, it's very it feels like it'd be very predictable yeah and so they flat out tell you how it's going to end in the second episode and that oh, kind of okay. that take that takes the edge off of okay this is predictable to like okay I know how it's going to end so you're just I can there just for the enjoy. ride yeah exactly yeah which uh, okay that actually makes it much more appealing then exactly because otherwise it's got the same problem as Rething With You that's a wrap for the episode Ooh. thanks for joining us on this fine post Valentine's episode day And we will see you next time. Ciao.